I'm Antonia Leoñate, and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 148. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! We didn't think you would make it to this show, Andras. Well done. I didn't think I would make it. <laughs> <laughs> We're still not sure we will make it. But <laughs> So where are you? You're still traveling or traveling again? Uh, yes, I am traveling, unfortunately. Um, and uh, I am currently in Malaysia on the mm. top of one of the hills uh, in uh, the Cameron Mountains. Yeah. I didn't expect uh, to have uh, such a strong internet connection here, so this is why I, I could actually join. And <laughs> Very it's good. quite early in the morning, so... What is it, like five in the morning or six in the morning, whatever? Uh, yeah, a, bit, a, little bit over, uh, uh, a little bit after five, so after I five, have no yeah. idea what I'm saying. Okay, <laughs> uh, but that's no difference I'm just, from usual, right? Yeah. Yes, so. it's, it, indeed. So I'm just halfway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. How are you guys? We're great. I'm great. I don't. I can't speak for Jelena. But I'm great. Oh, yeah, yeah. I went, no, it's always good. Yeah, I went to see Paul McCartney in Copenhagen a couple of days oh, ago. Oh, amazing! How was ah, it? it was. It was amazing. It was fantastic. You know, you t the two of you know. I think that I'm a big Beatles fan, but he, yeah, a really fantastic show. You know, it. You can tell he's. 76 years old and his voice isn't what it used to be but you know he delivered a three-hour concert without any any breaks and he went out with things like helter skelter and uh, sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band with on, on full volume rock and roll style really 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 great and even when he did the ballads he had to adapt it a little bit for his uh, voice can't really take the high notes and stuff but he does it in a very good way so it was mm -hmm. amazing and i had the whole family with me the, the three kids and my wife and i think even the kids realized that this was one of the best concerts ever it was really really good oh wow mm. well, it's really amazing did, did they originally share your enthusiasm or yeah they... yeah i think I think uh, my kids have <laughs> inherited my my love for the Beatles, so they were really, and I was actually, uh, you know, impressed how much they knew. I didn't realize they were inherited, such fans, right? <laughs> so it was good. So we, you know, what it's it called? It's called indoctrination. It's not inheritance. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, all right, good. But anyway, it's worked. <laughs> it's it's worked fine. Congratulations! You Congratulations! Know, I caught it cost an arm and leg though, but it was worth it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing recently. Mm, really good. And what are what are we doing now? Um, lots of things to talk about. 
But not only that, but we do have an interview that you guys have pre-recorded. Yes, um, we did. We, just to uh, spice we, uh, things up a little bit, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. So, and it's um, uh, it's covering one uh, one topic that we mentioned on the last episode. Yes. So we're talking okay. to yeah Antonia de Oñate from the Spanish Skeptics about the mm-hmm. uh, recent developments there when it comes to pseudoscience being banned from universities, etc. But we'll save it for that interview. It was uh, interesting to to hear about. All right. Okay, looking forward to hearing that uh, myself, as uh, I was unfortunately not part of it. I was still sleeping when it happened. Um, lazy bastard, yeah. Well. Lazy bastard, yeah. <laughs> and I call myself the, the the one who's strong enough not to sleep. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shall we crack on with this episode then? Absolutely. Okay, mm-hmm. wonderful. I hope our dear listeners are ready as well. Uh, sorry, even if not, we are proceeding. So, we usually start with the episode... Uh, with Yelena talking about something that happened this week in skepticism. And this uh, week is no exception. So, Yelena. I do have something interesting for you. Well, I hope so. And I would like to talk about somebody who died uh, this week on the 4th of December in uh, 1893. And that someone was John Tyndall, who was a prominent 19th century Irish physicist. I didn't know much about him before I started researching and uh, it turned out he was quite a crucial figure in climate change. However, his initial scientific fame arose in 1850 from his study of diamagnetism and later he made discoveries in the realm of infrared radiation and physical properties of air. Now, he understood the today's greenhouse effect uh, by doing some experiments. He has been very, very well-respected science at the time, and he's been giving a lot of lectures and, and popularizing science. He was famous in his lifetime for his pioneering work in atmospheric physics, and um, he was among the first to conduct research which laid the ground uh, for our understanding of natural greenhouse effect and of climate change. So uh, for, for two years, he's been uh, studying um, the heat-absorbing properties of the gases, and he realized that for the Earth's atmosphere to maintain its steady temperature, certain gases must be capable of trapping radiant heat. And this inquiry, uh, as he put it himself, was perfectly unbroken ground. So his experiments has shown that gases like oxygen, hydrogen, and nitrogen retained very little heat. But others, uh, particularly carbon dioxide, absorbed a surprising amount of radiation. Um, and he said it was nearly 100 times as much as oxygen. The implication of the Tyndall's discovery was clear. The higher the concentration of the absorptive gases in the atmosphere, the higher atmospheric temperatures would be. And therefore, he laid the theoretical foundation for climate science. But only few people could have (laughs) envisaged that more than 150 years later, Tyndall's discovery would be one of the great political debates of the day. And even now, we still have people who are calling themselves climate change skeptics. (laughs) But um, the science was known all these years ago and discovered by John Tyndall. By the way, by the way, he died. He died very interesting death. Uh, his wife accidentally poisoned him. She didn't mean to. She gave him. Ah, uh, I guess that's just. How an can excuse, you tell? I think. How can she, you tell? She gave. 
she gave him too much sleeping medicine for his condition and then and then I think he even what I don't want to say that that was for sure what he said but one of his last words potentially could have been uh, the my darling you you killed me and if I was um if I was her I'd be pretty bummed out <laughs> anyway <laughs> wow okay <laughs> carry on well, uh, yes. Um, so, thanks. And uh, let's move on to another thing that uh, we never hear enough of, and that's uh, what the Pope has been up to lately. So, Pontus, please let us know. All right. So, Francis went to Wrocław in Poland last week. So, that was too bad it wasn't a We've year ago, there. because we could have... Yeah, we could have invited him to join us at the European Skeptics Congress. We had a blast. Mm. We had uh, we could introduce him to to James Randi. It would be fantastic, but it wasn't oh, yeah. to be. Yeah. So he was in in Poland, not just in Wrocław, but when he was in Wrocław, he um, talked to children who are suffering from cancer, and he said, and I quote: "There is no difficulty in life that cannot be won." Uh, add, and he added that winning is different for each person according to one's own way. But the important thing is winning, the horizon that makes one f- move forward. Don't be discouraged, he said. Uh, that is problematic, I think, because it puts the mm-hmm. burden of winning on the children, actually. And I'll come back to that. Uh, he reminded them that the Lord has assigned to each one a guardian angel to help them in life. So get used to talking to your angel, he said, so that he may guard you, inspire you, and lead you always to victory in life. That's what he said to the sick children. Well, I think that is problematic on two levels. First, it tells you that you can be cured if you're talking to your, your imaginary friends. So... But that's what he believes. Okay, fine. But also indirectly, he tells you that if you're not doing it enough, you won't get well. And that means it's your own fault. So for children who don't get well and eventually may die, the thought he plants in their heads is that if you had talked more to your guardian angel, you would have been saved. So that's terrible victim blaming. Mm-hmm. Can you? T- yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining now a seven-year-old or a six-year-old who's praying the hell out of every minute he has left, and nothing is happening. And you know, asking her, his or her mother afterwards, saying, "So, but I am trying to talk to God, but I'm only getting worse. What am I doing wrong?" That to me is terrible. I'm sure we talked about this before. I'm sure. Pope Francis is not a bad guy. He, he means well, but he doesn't know what he's doing. This is terrible. Even if if, if he means well, it's still such a th- stupid thing to say. It's just silly. Even for someone yeah. who believes that God has something to do with cancer. Who put the cancer in these children? Was it God? Huh? I don't know. Also, while in Poland, he uh, commented on that homosexuality is a fashion that misleads the clergy. And that's a nice one. And there's a new book coming out on the 3rd of December that's been sort of leaked, I guess. And homosexuals, according to this new book, should not be priests. <laughs> so much for being a, the progressive and modern pope, right? And the worst thing is that indirectly, and sometimes 
actually implicitly, he conflates being gay with pedophilia, saying that one leads to the other. And I think he is in an absolute state of denial, trying to shift the blame from child rape, which the church has been accused of a lot. He conflates that with consexual sex between adults, which of course is totally okay and entirely unrelated. And, and, and again, if, how can homosexuality lead to old farts raping young girls? How can that be homosexuality? Mm. I think, you know, basically he's an idiot who doesn't understand how this thing, these things work. So, um, again, I have to poke the Pope. Uh, he, uh, he may mean well, but he doesn't know what he's doing. And uh, what he's doing is uh, he's hurting people. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's just uh, trying to defend something that's undefendable and coming, hmm. coming up yeah. with silly ways of doing it. So, uh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Get your shit together. <laughs> yeah. Just say it out loud that those people who are sexual offenders do not belong to the church, they belong to fucking jail, regardless yeah. of what the origin of their actions is. Yeah. Or no, not necessarily regardless, because there, there are those cases when they don't belong in jail, they belong in um, another kind of institution. Yeah. A mental but institution But that's not what he's talking sort. about. Yeah, exactly. He's not talking exactly. about mental illness. He's talking about homosexual lifestyle or a fashion, as he's called. It's not a fashion. Fashion, It's fuck not off. something you... you, dis- you know, That's stupid. And even if it was, it doesn't lead to pedophilia. So it's not totally unrelated to the problem he has in his church. Yeah. And just to be, be clear about this, I'm not saying that homosexuality is a mental illness or no, condition. No, no, no. So I'm not. saying no. that if someone is a sexual offender... That could be so at such a terrible level that it could be because of a mental condition. I'm not conflating it with uh, homosexuality whatsoever. No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Uh. Thank you very much, Pontus. All right. For poking the Pope once again. I think uh, before we move on to the news items that we usually cover on the uh, regular episodes, I think we should uh, listen to that interview that you recorded with Antonia de Ognate about how the Spanish government is moving towards getting rid of unnecessary and unsubstantiated health claims uh, from the national health institutions. With us today, we have Antonia de Anate, Chief Executive Officer of the Spanish Society for Advancement of Critical Thinking, organizer of Skeptics in a Pub Madrid and other events of the kind, and a publisher of Spanish-language international skeptical journal El Skeptica. In fact, we had Antonia on our podcast back in the episode number 15, a couple of years ago. And today we invited Antonia back to check in with her and also to talk about specific development in Spain uh, around what I call the war against pseudoscience. (laughs) Antonia, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure being with you. Good to have you back. Yes, so we covered an article on the last episode, 147, um, about something that's going on in Spain uh, regarding the government that is launching a plan to expel pseudotherapies from universities and health centers. But we've only briefly kind of gone over it. We didn't go into any detail. And also, I think there is a lot more information available in Spanish than in English around this issue. Could you please tell us more about this? 
Well, we are very excited at this development because it's, it's absolutely, I mean, out of the blue, <laughs> really out of the blue. Uh, well, last uh, 14 November, both ministers of health and, and science decided to give a joint statement uh, against pseudotherapies. I mean, it was the first time, and, 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 and I'm old enough to say <laughs> it, it's quite a lot of time, uh, the first time in my life I've heard something like that. I mean, government officials government minister, ministers, in fact, yeah. uh, expressing a very clear opinion against uh, pseudotherapies and announcing a plan to fight them. This is really exciting. We must be cautious, of course, but we are excited. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's very good news. As you say, it's not something we are used to, to hear about these days. It's All of the news seems to be on the other direction. So do you know anything about what triggered this? Is it? Well, there were a few factors triggering the whole thing. On the one hand, of course, well, you know, there are a few associations and societies in Spain as mine, for example, that are very active fighting pseudotherapies. And we are always trying to reach both Parliament and the government to make them see how dangerous they can get to be. And, uh, well, I suppose this government found point of view interesting. On the other side, there were other factors, very important factors too. Both ministers, health minister and, and science minister, are people uh, with a very clear idea of what evidence must be. For example, our science minister is a very well-known scientist in Spain, and uh, he, he was an astronaut, you know. <laughs> really? Yes, yes, wow. he was an astronaut. I wish yes. we had the astronauts for, in our government. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and the health minister is the doctor, and she's wow. always... Um, sorry? I just said, wow, it's, it's, it's a very oh, <laughs> rare uh, thing uh, now, uh, isn't it? Yes, uh, well, she's a, a doctor, and she's uh, completely for evidence-based medicine. But there are other reasons why. In 2016, for the first time, the Spanish Foundations for Science and Technology launched a survey on uh, social perception on science and technology. And though results were fairly good, they found that uh, close to half of the population thought that both acupuncture and homeopathy could work. This is something to worry about. Mm. And on the other hand, there's a Spanish agency, a Spanish official agency called Sociological Center of Inquiry, and they made a survey, too, in February 2018 and found that above 5% of the population had made a consultation with a homeopath or with a, an acupuncturist. Mm. So the government thought those data were something to worry about. Mm. But I, I'm happy to hear that there are government officials that really care about the evidence. Normally, they care only about votes. Uh, yes, but evidence is absolutely, uh, I mean, something you can do without if, if you're talking about health or if you want to provide a good health service or if you want to provide good education for health workers. Is uh, Without evidence, what do you do? Yeah, mm. no, no, quite right. Quite right. It's true. Yeah, no, and uh, it's great to see that they are especially talking about expelling pseudotherapies from universities because it starts with education and, you know, uh, that's the kind of the bedrock. So 
Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. You know, a few years ago, we had a department, well, not exactly a department, but it was a kind of a, a little school of homeopathy at Zaragoza uh, University. Zaragoza uh, is one of the most important cities of the country. So we were all absolutely out of our senses to see that, to see the Buaron, because it was called this way, Buaron, as, as a homeopath yeah. company. The Buaron seat for homeopathy at Zaragoza University. And now the situation has been changing. It's true. It's been hard work and, and, and not only hard work. It's been, you know, a lot of information, uh, disseminating information among society to make them understand homeopathy wasn't a natural or herbal medicine pharmacies were providing. It was a different thing. Yeah, yeah it was just, it's just some water. <laughs> yeah. um, yes. <laughs> and, and I can imagine that y your organization probably played a quite large part and, and organizations like yours in disseminating the good information, educating public, sort of looking at the evidence and what's true and what's not true. So it's great. You know, it actually gives me hope. <laughs> if, Spain, <laughs> if it happens in Spain, I wonder maybe it'll, uh, you know, gradually will reach other countries. I mean, here in England, for example, where I live, uh, we've recently gotten rid of the, the homeopathy treatment on NHS, the National Health Service, so they don't provide it anymore. We've heard about it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> quite often I, I feel quite negative, but this is a great positive development. I'm really pleased for you guys. Mm. Uh, yes, yes, I'm very pleased to see that shift because it's it's evident it's it's going on not only well in Spain. It's true that homeopathy hasn't been very popular since its inception. I recently read a small book written by somebody of a medical school in Madrid in 1850-something <laughs> saying he wouldn't teach homeopathy because it was completely absurd in spite of many people asking the, the medical school to provide some lessons. <laughs> uh, so ever since, I don't know, perhaps the, the, the I, I wouldn't say the 18th, but the, the 19th century, yes, there's always been a very negative perception of homeopathy in Spain. Oh, very good. Uh, so we play with advantage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you said before that you have you're trying to influence government and others to think more rationally. What what kind of methods do you use? We usually try to talk to them or write to them and make protests uh, before ministries, etc. But even though trying to talk to parliament or trying to talk to the government is a good, I mean, something you've got to do, I think the most important thing is the establishment of an atmosphere which is quite against homeopathy and is due to the work of my society and many other associations in Spain that are working together. Union makes force, and that's true. Yeah. Hmm. Do you think now, I'm, I'm always thinking when, when you try to ban things or get things out of the universities or out of the public uh, funding, uh, that there could be a backlash that people says this is they are suppressing our natural our needs the the patient's need to select his own treatments etc do you are you afraid that there will be some kind of backlash now out of this 
Well, perhaps some people may think so, but I'm I'm not particularly afraid of that. I'm not particularly afraid of that. For one reason or other, well, perhaps because it's really good, Spanish National Service, Health Service, has got a very good reputation among the Spanish population. Many people are very proud of them, and I think it's one of the most important things we've got in the country. So... Having a very clear stance from our National Health Service is very, very important. And, of course, some people can think, well, uh, you know, and, and there's a certain conspiranoid theory, you know, pharmaceuticals are paying and, and bribing and, and so on. But I don't think that's the majority of society. Great. That's good. So... We also wanted to just quickly get your thoughts on something else we've uh, recently read about, about some uh, pretty strong blasphemy laws in Spain, if you, if you have any thoughts on this. Um, there were... Yes, we have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so, yeah. Yeah, there were a few recent cases uh, that were heard in court. Um, they're, they're a little bit ridiculous, really, uh, from our perspective. So a Spanish actor and activist Willy Toledo, apparently. Yeah, he appeared in court after he made comments on Facebook insulting God and Virgil Mary. And uh, there was another playwright, Carlos Santiago. Apparently, he was in uh, in trouble because he alluded to the balls of St. James the Apostle uh, in his speech. So, (laughs) well, our blasphemy laws are very curious because, uh, well, in, in our penal code, uh, in our criminal code, there's the article five to five, the the infamous five to five saying the state has the right to prosecute blasphemy or people, uh, saying things that are offensive to non-believers too. It's a kind of compromise they acquired a long time ago, and I think, well, perhaps it had a sense after Franco died, you know, the first years, but now things have changed a lot, and we shouldn't be keeping this article because it's going to to have awful consequences in the future, not just the two cases you mentioned before, but many other cases. Just about somebody who gets hurt because, I don't know, because you said something about Mohammed or because you said something against, well, it's really crazy. Yeah. It's surprising to me to hear because I think about even more than half of the EU countries do have blasphemy laws still Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're normally not acted upon. They are, you know, they are they're still there, but yes. they are considered obsolete. So it really doesn't happen. Yes, they aren't enforced. In fact, no. Yes, and in Spain, we've got a problem with the fact that um, criminal code isn't obsolete. In fact, because it is not as old as as all that. You know, it is a historical consequence of things that happened after Franco died, you know, during the dictatorship, Spain was a Catholic state with everything that means. I mean, you had, uh, if you didn't baptize your children, workers didn't have the right to, to get some special fee, special money they, they had every month. If you weren't married uh, in the church, your wife or your husband wouldn't be deemed to be your real husband or wife. So, you know, changing those things, you know, the, the transition towards democracy was very hard. 
And this article of blasphemy, the 525, is one of the legacies we have to work against, yes. Yes. But do you think this law will be overturned with time? I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Good. So so do I. So do I. These are these are really really old <laughs> laws that are completely out of date with with the current. But life. do people sympathise with that? I mean, are, are they? You know, are people thinking this is okay? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, that's it. Uh, some people think that's perfectly okay. I mean, they they think the the feeling of offence is something to be dealt with under the law, which is something. To me, it's absolutely incredible, something uh, not to believe, but, 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 but that's what happens. Some people think their religion or their ideas deserve special protection from the law. Huh. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's let's hope this w- we'll see this go fairly soon as well. <laughs> I hope so, yes. Yeah, we're counting on you to work on that, right? <laughs> oh, yes, of course. <laughs> We just also wanted to say a big congratulations to the 50th issue of uh, El Skeptico. Thank you. Yes, our 50th number. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. So uh, so tell us a little bit about the magazine. How long has it been running and, and what's the future for it? Oh, well, it's been running for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Our organization dates back from 30 years. Our magazine is 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, we are very proud of it because uh, it's made by us, by volunteers. I mean, it's not professional at all. And even not being a professional activity, it has endured 20 years, which is not bad at all. I think the quality of the of the magazine is very acceptable. It's mm-hmm. quite acceptable. And uh, something uh, that strikes my mind is that it's the, the only magazine written in 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 paper and and published in paper in spanish yeah that means more than 450 million people speaking spanish all over the world (laughs) so (laughs) it's not bad at all yeah of course we don't reach those numbers (laughs) (laughs) well wish we could (laughs) almost i guess (laughs) <laughs> but it's not bad. It's not bad at all. I'm no, thinking that, that our language has got uh, one of those um, of those magazines because you you are usually you are used to see those magazines written in English or in German, but not in Spanish. Well, but do you have a big reader base in 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 South America or in North America as well, for that matter? We put it in our in our website. So people can uh, get to it whenever they want to. And we we see our visitors and they come from many, many different countries, including, of course, the United States. Yes. Yeah. It's a very good job. And we, again, congratulations to the 50th issue. Thank you. Well well done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Antonio, is there anything else you want to mention? Um, uh, Any new projects that you're working on? Um, Anything you want to plug? Well, we are now at this time really concentrated in, in on the plan against pseudotherapies, hoping the plan is going to be enforced. It's something we have to work with, uh, well, you know, the rest of organizations, with the government to see it as a legal thing. I mean, the, the most important work we're going to do in the next few months. Well, of course, we keep on with skeptics in the pub, we keep on with, uh, you know, helping uh, other, other associations 
to to make scientific divulgation um, divulgative activities such as I don't know for example Desgranando Ciencia which is a, a very a fantastic activity made in Granada in the south of, of Spain and uh, I, I suppose that's more or less what uh, we are about <laughs> yes well that's plenty I guess yes very good all right brilliant um, do you want to just quickly remind where the listeners can follow your work? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, they can follow us uh, in Twitter. is at escepticos. <laughs> and in, uh, in the website is uh, www.escepticos.es. Very good. <laughs> Very we... good. And we, of course, will link it in, in the show notes as well. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Antonio, thank you so much for your time. Uh, all the best uh, with with the good work that you're doing. And we'll catch up with you soon. Okay, thank you a lot. It's been a pleasure. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye-bye. All right. I think we should move on to the news items, especially because what I'm going to say first is easily connectable to this very interview that we just heard. Another piece of good news from Hungary. No, that is surprising. That's not possible. <laughs> yes. So what happened <laughs> was uh, there was a non-usual meeting. It's it's called the Day of the Public Servants, uh, organized by the Hungarian Council of uh, Pharmacists, and the Under Secretary of the Hungarian Department of Health. Ildiko Horvat appeared at that event and she actually opened, uh, she gave the, the keynote speech. And there she talked about an omnibus law that covers a lot of things that is in the proposal stage at the moment. Sorry, what's, what, what's an omnibus law? An omnibus law is, is something that cover a whole lot of different areas uh, from the field, like it's the, from the field of uh, health and health service, they try to put everything in one uh, law. Okay, good. We call it the in Hungarian. We call it the salad law. <laughs> okay, le- less because, positive. Okay. No, it's 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 because it's uh, with all the all the leafy stuff and and it branches out and it and it's and it's like a like a big mess. But uh, mm. I think that's why it's called um, the, the salad law. Yeah, so what's important about this uh, this actual omnibus bill that will be in front of the parliament soon is that they are apparently um, tackling the, the issue of uh, unsubstantiated claims within health uh, service, and uh, that includes homeopathic remedies. And um, they are trying to control how um, different medical medicinal products are being registered. So they want to be more strict when it comes to uh, registering a product, and that potentially means I have to I have to emphasize that because there will be a lot of discussions about that uh, at Parliament. I hope, but uh, recently it's not. Not the strong side of our parliament to to do discussions. They just vote on things, but we'll see how it goes with this one. If it's if it goes through as she explained it, then it might be possible with this law to actually get rid of some of the homeopathic remedies because they don't Ooh. meet the criteria for the the other drugs in the register of 
medicinal product. You don't say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, they finally <laughs> realized that themselves. Um, but uh, still, if it happens, then uh, I think it's it's a good step forward. It's it's a step in the right direction, which yeah, I don't say often yeah. about my my our current not mine. It's our current government. Yeah, it's good to see that there are some good forces in Hungary. I mean, evidence based medicine is not what we would. Well, I would at least uh, associate with Hungary. Yes, uh, no one would, I think, <laughs> these days. <No. laughs> so okay. It's a bit surprising, right. but it's a, it's a step in the right direction, I hope. Right, okay. Speaking of alternative modalities, there's a Swedish uh, kinesiologist that has been convicted for sexual abuse of a patient. So, first, applied kinesiology is an alternative so-called medicine, and it's based on chiropractic. Uh, it involves manipulating the patient's limbs in certain ways to, to to diagnose and even treat all kinds of illnesses, including some claims regarding cancer. No, not surprisingly, one study showed that it, quote, is no more useful than random guessing, unquote. Oops. And uh, also the American Cancer Society has clearly stated that there's no support for applied kinesiology to do anything. Still, that doesn't convince everyone, and practitioners continue their so-called treatments. The methods used are very subjective, and as I said, a practitioner in Sweden was recently convicted of sexual assault after his fingers somehow ended up into the patient's vagina. Now, I'm no expert, but that doesn't seem like good practice even for kinesiologists. So, yeah, I guess accidents happen, I guess, when you manipulate somebody's body and, you you know, we all know that. But uh, (laughs) then there's the fact that this is the third time that this guy has been convicted for incidents like this. Uh, He has been convicted in in 2006, I believe, and, and once after that as well. So the point of this story, it's pretty good to keep in mind that any charlatan can start an alternative practice like this. So I, for my part, will still go to a real doctor instead. (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't even have a vagina. No? No. No. Now you really surprised me. Yeah, yeah, now you know. It's it's out there. Not that I was was, uh, looking for it. It's just... Andras, don't look for my vagina. uh, I'll be disappointed. Good, good rule to keep in mind. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, want to hear some more good news? Apparently, from Vienna, my neighboring country, my neighboring country's capital, actually. Mm -hmm. Does the name uh, Professor Mikhail Frath ring a bell to you? If you if you read um, Edward Ernst's book, A Scientist in Wonderland, uh, mm-hmm. he mentioned him, I think, several times. And uh, they were colleagues. Uh, he's a professor at the medical school of the University of Vienna. And that is, by the way, the former faculty where Edward Ernst uh, started his career as well. So, yes, that's right. Uh, professor Frass is well-known among skeptics uh, thanks to Edzard Ernst and his writings 
because uh, he uh, well criticizes Frost's uh, uh, work quite frequently. In 2002, he started teaching homeopathy to medical students. Uh, you can read that on Edzardern's blog. And in 2004, he opened an outpatient clinic, homeopathy for malignant diseases at the medical school. So that was a quote from uh, Edzardern's blog. Now, obviously, why this is really uh, not welcome <laughs> is because it lends credibility to homeopathy that it's taught at a university level at a medical school of a well-known university so probably not anymore and that's the good mm. news yeah right i have to say well done students of the university because apparently this happened because they filed a lot of complaints about uh, frost's lectures and wow. Yeah, the, the the dean of the of the faculty decided to take a drastic action, and he said that medical faculty rejects unscientific methods and quackery. So they made Frass stop giving his lectures and uh, learning, uh, uh, teaching homeopathy at the university. Hmm. So Very good. Uh, yeah, but uh, it was it was also discussed at the university's ethics committee, committee, and they also decided that it it was just not suitable for that kind of service uh, or educational service that they're providing at the university. So well done, yeah. well done, good news hmm. from Vienna. No, I, th- I think it's good to to connect it to just ethical considerations. It's not ethical to to teach something that doesn't work. Yeah, that's that's very good. Yeah, yeah a, a little bit of a, of a flip side of this is that uh, he will retire next year and uh, will probably go on doing that kind of homeopathy practice as a private thing. Yeah, yeah, but at least he doesn't have the university behind him. Anymore. Exactly, to, to lend him credibility, yeah. Righty, um, so the next item also was brought to our attention by Edzard Ernst and his wonderful, wonderful blog. Mm-hmm. If our listeners haven't subscribed to it or haven't visited it yet, it's edzardernst.com. It's great. By the way, I think it's an award-winning blog, isn't it? <laughs> He's brought to our attention um, wonderful news about ginger, that apparently it's uh, 10,000 times better than chemotherapy for your cancer. So so the, the original article is absolutely ridiculous. It starts with saying that if you give a squirrel two corn cobs of one which is non-GMO and the other is GMO, the squirrel would choose a non-GMO corn instead of a GMO corn because the squirrel, the squirrel is very, very clever. Who the fuck? Who the fuck did this experiment? First of all, second of all, I have seen a squirrel eating a fucking chip from a freaking garbage bin like coming from a night out home and and squirrel doesn't give a shit like seriously this is the last <laughs> thing the squirrel i don't know what kind of squirrel they found or where they found the squirrel but um the squirrels i've seen in england they eat dirt they eat horrible horrible things anyway uh, how 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 does this article connect to squirrels gmos and and, and uh, ginger but anyway there's there's all sorts of unsubstantiated claims about ginger being much more uh, potent in chemothera- than chemotherapy and they use excuses like for example ginger came from earth and so did we and that's why it's good for you what did we come from uh, well we didn't come from the moon or mars i know right so yes um, we did come from earth 
I'm guessing then maybe anything that comes from Earth is good for us. I don't know. Maybe we can just eat some dirt and get rid of cancer. Oh, God, nonsense. It's it's literally the small the, the shortest article <laughs> on an important subject like uh, alternative cure. I've seen it in a long time, and um, the claim of ten thousand times just was sucked out of the thin air. There's no references to anything. So this naturally occurring element is up to ten thousand times more effective at killing cancer cells than those vials of destructive drugs. Mm. Um, yeah, apparently some dude said that once okay uh, that's that's great <laughs> we we know that that people who have cancer they very much um in a state of of emotional distress and easy to sometimes to prey on and they they will do anything to to find cure and i'm sure there, there are some people who will try to eat kilogram of ginger a day to see if they can make it better but i'm hoping that they're not going to give up their other re- regime treatments that they're already on so yeah. and uh, what uh, Edzard ernst is mentioning in his blog is that there was once a study done uh, randomized double blind placebo controlled uh, that proven that there was no effect of eating ginger i mean that's not a surprise of course to anyone that that's the case, uh, but it's just worth mentioning that um, these kind of claims are still out there, and we should be careful. If you do have cancer and you're going through chemotherapy, like knock yourself out and, and have some ginger as well. But just you know, just as long as you don't quit your your conventional therapy. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, back to the squirrels for a second. So they're basically saying in this article that if you give a choice to a Poor squirrel between ginger and cancer drugs. The the squirrel will choose ginger. I I don't know how they connected this together. In what? <laughs> That's so stupid. That's so stupid. <laughs> and I, I would also yeah, like on. to add that I have to protest against the underlying prejudice here, because only a ginger can call another ginger ginger. Uh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, only a squirrel can call another squirrel a squirrel. One more yeah. thing to mention about ginger. Apparently, it can be good for reducing nausea and vomiting. So, yes, um, y- y- you can you can have that if you feel a bit nauseous. But that's about yeah. everything that you can get out of ginger. <laughs> Don't look to squirrels for your medical advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Peppermint tea Don't. is also good for that kind of thing. I'm yet to see claims that peppermint tea cure, cure cancer. I'm sure there is something. In fact... I wonder... No, I'm not going to Google it now. We'll do it later. (laughs) Okay. If you're Googling, you should uh, try to Google for uh, the Italian government running TV ads in favor of vaccination. Uh, It's not Mm -hmm. the first that they do, uh, but apparently um, um, I think we'll hear about uh, how measles is doing uh, all across Europe soon. But um, uh, unfortunately, in Italy there have been a rising number of cases uh, all across the country and the government took action in terms of um, uh, making it compulsory to vaccinate kids against measles. So now they teamed up with uh, uh, volleyball champion Ivan Zaitsev. Sorry, it's not an Italian name, but uh, uh, he's the captain of the Italian national volleyball team. And uh, they used um, a volleyball scene to 
convey the message of uh, teamwork and team effort in saving or helping uh, someone who's uh, who's lost balance. So I think the underlining meaning is that vaccination can do that to you, and you can you have to do it in favor of healthy um, society so it's a it's a very nice ad actually it's a, it briefly explains something about how important it is but it doesn't go into the medical detail basically what it means is facciamo squadra per la nostra salute which means let's team up for our our uh, health and it's part of a campaign that is uh, uh, that runs under the hashtag i vaccini funzionano which means the vaccines work and it's run by the ministry of health of the italian government so well done uh, this should be seen uh, all across europe and uh, i'm hoping that to be the case if someone knows about any countries doing the same thing please let us know because we would like to promote that and we would like to let everyone know that's out there mm, very good so speaking of vaccinations there was a report out from the world health organization about uh, uh, measles but you know these organizations you know they have their own pace so this is about comparing 2017 with 2016 and they saw a race uh, with thirty uh, percent in cases between those two years. Of course, we've been following the measles outbreak longer than that, and also into twenty eighteen. So I would just wanted to revisit since it was a while. I wanted to revisit uh, what the situation is in in Europe at the moment, because in Europe we've had uh, the worst situation in several decades with uh, measles outbreaks. Just want to mention first. In 2017, in the world, according to the WHO, uh, 110,000 people died in measles-related uh, situations. So oh. measles is not a harmless childhood disease that you should have your children, you know, you should get your children to have because it's good for you or the immune defense that some people are talking about. Get vaccinated for fuck's sake. Anyway, so Europe in this year, I have numbers until the end of uh, September only, because again, it takes uh, some time for the bureaucracy to deliver these numbers. Ukraine in Europe is the, the worst country. 30,744 cases. And this is actually on the first week of September. So it's Probably by now, when we're recording early December, it's probably more like 33,000 or something, or maybe more. We have Serbia, 5,700 cases, and that was in July. I haven't gotten any numbers later than that. We have uh, France, Greece, and Italy, all above 2,000. And then I forgot about Romania, who was and is really the bad one in the EU, 4,500 cases. So, to cut it short, it's over 50,000 cases by, by end of uh, September. I believe we will see. It seems to have uh, gone down a little bit, slightly, but it's mm -hmm. hard to follow because the, the reporting is several months delayed. 
But my guesstimate is that we were looking at seventy-five to eighty thousand cases before oh, the before the in Europe before the year is over, and they are all unnecessary. Mm. You could have been vaccinated. It's unbelievable yeah. how we're now talking about almost a hundred thousand cases when we started with first was yeah. hundred, then was thousand, and it's just. Yeah, we used to be upset with uh, a thousand cases yeah. or even a hundred cases. Mm. Now we're talking almost 100,000 cases in Europe alone. So, uh, yeah, that's where we are with measles. So if you have, you know, if you have kids listening to the show and you're not vaccinated, stop listening to the show. Go out and get vaccinated and you come back. You just put it on pause. We will wait and then you'll get your (laughs) kids vaccinated. Yeah. For fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, this is this is how it works when if if uh, vaccination goes down because without vaccination, these uh, kinds of yeah. diseases have the potential to spread exponentially. Yeah. So just to I- iterate, you have to have a population with over ninety five percent of the people vaccinated to to keep it in check, and you know it spreads through the air. So if you go into a room. You're not vaccinated. You go into a room, even a couple of hours after a, an infected person has been in that room, you can catch the the, the disease. Yes, it's really one of the worst uh, diseases when it comes to spreading, and it's not benign in any case. In any respect, it's you know 110,000 deaths in in 2017, according to WHO. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wake up, people. Wake up. <laughs> okay. I'm a little bit hesitant because I don't know whether it's going to be a good or bad piece of news. But uh, I think we have another segment coming up because uh, that was all of the news we were uh, going to talk about. So, Pontus, have we got a really wrong or a really right this week? It is a really wrong, I'm afraid. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You're bringing yeah. down the mood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so with Brexit in the news every day, papers in the UK are all in a knot trying to outdo each other to get clicks without any regards for what's true. And one out- such outrageous example comes from the Daily Mail. Nobody's uh, really surprised. <laughs> Who claimed uh, recently that the German town of Rott... Uh, Roth. It start. It spells R O T H, but I don't think they have the th sound in 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 German. So it's Rot. Rot. I don't know. According to this news from the Daily Mail, they had to cancel their local tradition of letting children hang wish lists to Santa in the Christmas tree, as they normally do. The reason, supposedly, is that the letter must contain the children's full names and addresses for the local community to organize the following uh, visits to the local fire station and visiting the mayor, etc. And the letters has to uh, have the parents signed consent, etc. This all started with a local radio station that said that it's now prohibited by the GDPR regulation in that the EU passed earlier this year. So this oh. should not be happening anymore. And the Daily Mail led their article with this. And uh, this is... This is, I'm going to read only the headline, but you have to brace yourselves because the <laughs> Daily Mail headlines are usually longer than the article. So this is what they wrote. 
German German children banned from sending Christmas wish lists to Santa because it breaks EU privacy laws. And then there's a bullet point. I, I don't know how they do bullet points in the headlines, but okay, fine. First bullet point. German town of Roth in Bavaria threatens to ban children's public Santa letters. Next bullet point. Children told Christmas tradition may be stopped due to new EU privacy laws. New bullet point. GDPR rules prevent children leaving their personal details on trees in public. New bullet point. A local radio station has since worked with experts to find a GDPR compliant solution in a bid to save the event. This is all the, this is the headline. (laughs) And I've read it out word for word. Fantastic. Bloody hell. Yeah. Okay. And of course, this comment section is filled with outrage about how UK must leave EU as soon as possible to avoid this nonsense, etc., etc. And EU is a crazy organization that tries to prevent everything that's good, even letters to Santa. But this is an extraordinary example of Brexit fake news. I don't even believe that the Daily Mail cares about what's true or not in this case. They just want to trigger the public's feeling one way or the other and generate clicks. Because almost everything in this is false. (laughs) And four days later, the Daily Mail updated the article. At the bottom, they added the following text, and I quote, But a European Commission spokesman said Roth's interpretation of the GDPR rules had had been in no way correct. They said, Santa Claus should have the contact details of a family in order to deliver the presents indicated on the wish list he received, provided the parents agree in the case of minors. These have been the rules for the past 20 years and the General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR, has not changed this situation at all. So, it's a non-story. <laughs> so they, they, they've, they've, uh, they've generated this completely out of nothing. And then they yeah. said, exactly. oh, oh, nothing to see here. <laughs> and even after they up, so-called updated the article, the headlines are still the same. Yeah. And the article is continuously shared by outraged Brexit supporters who apparently never read anything beyond uh, the headlines. They need to be generating it's clicks. Totally irresponsible by the Daily Mail just feeds into the already outrageously infected Brexit debate for no other reason than to, to sell a story. Any comments? No, no, <laughs> no, no comments on uh, this. No surprise. It's... Yeah, no surprise and no, no comments. Yeah, right. So the Daily Mail, for not having any regards for the truth or the harm that they're spreading, they get today's prize for being really wrong. Okay, after you bring down the mood that much, um, I think we should conclude the show. Um, no better way to do that than uh, Yelena hitting us with a quote. Yes, alrighty. So, I've got a quote. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a quote from William Kingdon Clif- uh, Clifford uh, today, who was an English mathematician and philosopher. And he said the following thing. The danger to society is not merely that it should believe wrong things, though that is great enough, but that it should become credulous and lose the habit of testing things and inquiring into them, for then it must sink back into savagery. Ooh. There we go. Savagery. <laughs> savagery. <laughs> it's not meant savagery. to be sexy, you know, Pontus. <laughs> oh, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> 
No, but seriously, he is quite right, of course. I mean, you have to keep on testing things and inquiring and put questions. Uh, that's very important. Yeah. And this is why it's very important that skeptics are always out there and uh, trying to do the job of educating the public into critical thinking and how you have to test all the claims that are out there. And I know exactly that uh, we are not necessarily doing that kind of job. So what we are here here and what we set out to do is trying to help that work that all the skeptics around the world and mostly in Europe are doing. So uh, we will be here. We will be doing that um, in the coming well, I'm not. I'm not going to make that uh, that statement. So, uh, so, um, and we we are here to stay, and uh, we'll continue doing that. Yeah. This has been all for this week. I'd like to thank both of you, Yelena and Pontus, for, for being here with me. And uh, Thanks, no, you're Colin. not here with me, unfortunately. Yeah, you're worlds away. <laughs> you're on the other side of the fucking planet. Um. Yeah. But I was happy to join you guys, and uh, I'd like to thank the listeners as well for tu- for tuning in. And until next week, goodbye. Goodbye. Paka paka. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Oh, okay, hello? she's back. Hey, 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 hey! I don't know what happened. Good, good. So I finished, so you could, you can tell. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and then move to the thingy. Oh, really? So we don't get to comment on this? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, did it have? Did it have a skeptical angle? Um, okay. possibly. <laughs> Andras. No, in just good faith, you will now have to say thank you very much, Elena, and move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes? No, nothing. Oh, I'm <laughs> just trying to come up with a, with a segue. Um, no. Yeah, well, you know. Sometimes you don't need one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, want to hear some more good news? <laughs> yes, please. Okay. And, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not referring to your the lack of vagina. I don't think it's a good, it's good news. It's, it's, it's neutral. It's, it's not nothing. Okay. Um, <laughs> stop it. <laughs>